It's really great to be with you all this morning. And as I said earlier, Keith has gone to Brazil for this week, building a church. And isn't that funny? Keith's away, he's building a church in Brazil. <laughs> How many folks get to say that? You know, I've gone to Brazil to build a church. That's pretty awesome. And he's going to have a lot of stories to tell when he gets back, he and Randy. And it's going to be exciting. Um, Last time Keith asked me to speak, I was a lot different than I am today. About 15 pounds lighter, actually. Uh, My wife, Kelly, and I, as they say nowadays, we are pregnant. Kelly's got about four weeks to go, five weeks to go, and I'll be birthing a baby boy. We've got two girls, and and this will be a boy. So I'm happy to have a little testosterone happening in the house, if you know what I mean. We've got um, everything I've got is a girl in my house, including my dogs. So, um, well, not dogs, dog. One went to be in heaven, so... um, but anyway, I'm excited about a little boy coming, so that's a pretty cool thing. Um, so anyway, that's why I'm a little different. <laughs> but anyway, that's not important. What's important is we talk this morning about God, and we talk to Him about how we can take our life to the next level. How we can take it to the next level. You know, Kelly and I, about eight years ago, planted a church um, on the eastern shore of Alabama, and every February... During our time with the people there, I would always challenge folks. I would stand up the first Sunday of February and say, let me ask you all something. How are those New Year's resolutions happening? You know, the ones we made back in January? And they do just what y'all are doing with the smiles and the kind of like, what is he talking about that now? You know, but, but, but they'd all smile and have a big laugh because four weeks later, most of us couldn't even remember what we said we would do. Or we're feeling bad because we didn't do them or whatever. Well, when the day that Keith asked me to come speak here for this date, I got to thinking. And it causes me to want to pose a question with you this morning. How are you doing today? based on what we celebrated last week at Easter time. This whole last week that you've lived, how have you lived? Have you lived any differently than you did before Easter? You see, now that we've put away the bunnies, and now we've eaten all the purple and pink M&Ms, and now that we've done all the things we're supposed to do, and the dresses and the ties and stuff are all gone, has our life been any different on this side of Easter than it was on Easter or before Easter? See, what I want to challenge us and talk about today is how we can take living to the next level. Taking our living to the next level. Because you see, Holy Week, Easter Sunday, all the flash and pomp and circumstance that we do for Easter as Christ followers is done so that we can help everyone else know that we live as Christ followers every day. That we walk with God. That God walks with us. It's not just something we celebrate by itself, but it's something that we do every day when we're walking. When we're living. And see, Jesus did all of that at Holy Week and Easter Sunday so that we then can take living to the next level. See, a lot of people live down here. Jesus expects us to live up here. Let me illustrate this the best way I can. I have a little girl, Abby. She's four. She was three at this time. She wanted a camera for Christmas. So Kelly said we ought to get her a camera, so we did. And we got her one of these um, Fisher-Price indestructible cameras, you know, that you can drop from ten floors and it won't break, sort of like a Samsonite luggage piece. And so, and it, believe me, she's dropped it several times, and it's worked very well. Um, now, if you want to get around me, well, anyway, she got the for camera. She was taking pictures. Everything was great. And then it came time for taking those pictures off the camera. See, it's a digital camera, just like you and I buy. 
Now, if you now back where I, if you want to see a preacher say words that he has to repent of, and you put me with a computer trying to get pictures off a camera, I mean that's pretty bad for me. And I have to then you know talk to my wife and talk to Jesus. And anyway, so I'm trying to take these pictures off, and I did it like two months after she did this. You know how many pictures were on that camera? 336 pictures. That's how many pictures were on that camera. I've started downloading it finally after I got the right software and called the right people and spent three hours on the phone with them, you know, and saying words. Are you a preacher? Yes, I am. Oh, man. You know, and I'm sitting here and, and I'm trying to get this thing done. Just kidding. A little humor. And so I'm sitting here and, and this downloading the pictures and I go eat lunch and I come back and I go eat dinner and I come back. Coffee. Huh? Whole nine yards. Finally, they all get off onto the, onto the computer. And here's what some of the pictures look like. I wanted to show them to you this morning. Three-year-old Abby. Take a look at them. Top left is her taking a picture of herself. One of the first pictures she took. She's just like her mama. The bottom left picture there is the, the, um, a nice, lovely shot of the counter in the kitchen of Rondi's house. Up there is Rondi with her head cut off. See that up there? And there she is again with another lovely corner section of the cabinets in the kitchen. Go to the next slide for me, please. There's a lovely shot top left of a dining room um, access way to get to your chairs to eat dinner. And to the right, there's a lovely picture from the kitchen going into the living room of Rondi's house. To the left, there's Rondi cooking. You can see that's how she did it. Over here, the bottom right, that's a lovely picture of the living room, of the television set, again with the top cut off. Next slides, please. There's Sarah finally realizing that it ain't working. So she gets down on Abby's level to get the picture taken with uh, Dora, of all people. And then there's Abby again trying to take her own picture. She cut her own head off that time, which is equal time. And on the bottom left, there's the pancakes she had for breakfast one morning. She almost missed those. And then the right, this is a masterpiece. There's her right foot that she took. See that? Go to the next one for me real quick. There I am with my head cut off. There Sarah is again with her head cut off. The top right up there, there's Mama. I'm trying to fix her hair, and you see Abby right there next to that hairspray bottle? There she is with that camera taking the picture, see? And with that indestructo camera, I'll tell you where to get those later, parents, if you want to get that for your kid. Um, but I had to make mortgage payments, take their expensive cameras. But anyway, there she is on her level, and there she is, the last one right there, taking her own picture. What? Oh, there's more. There's another picture of her foot. See that over there on the left, on the right? And then the right, there's some ketchup on a paper plate. And then there's, um, there's, there's um, Mom, Kelly, with Bagel, our doggie. And again, Kelly figured out then that we had to scrunch. And then there is Abby taking her own picture. Actually, that's me taking Abby's picture right there. See? Isn't that kind of cool? Now, why do I do that with you? Because... Abby, bless her little heart, she's three years old. She's not but about this high. So when she takes pictures, she's taking them all on her level of living. It helped me as a parent see that she sees things down here, see? So that when I'm helping her and talking to her and instructing her or teaching her or loving on her or whatever, I'm doing it and she's looking at things from a three-year-old level. Grow up to an adult and we see things from this level right here. Yet what I'm trying to say is that Easter and Holy Week and all these things that Christ followers celebrate from Christmas to Easter, everything takes place so that we can take our living to the next level. Taking our living to the next level. That's what I want to um, talk about this morning. There are four areas, kind of broad areas, that I just want to hit on. And what's kind of cool about this is that because the game has changed now, the rules are different, Jesus has risen from the dead, which empowers us to take our living to the next level. All of these stories I'm going to talk to you about this morning, ironically enough, happened after he rose from the dead. 
It's kind of cool when you think about it. So I want to look at them with you. Four things, four major things, okay? The first thing I want you to write down in your outline, if you'll take it out and follow it with me, is the word family. Is the word family. Now what's fascinating to me, when I started looking at this, is that in the book of John, right after the resurrection story, every one of my paragraph subtitles said, Jesus appears to Mary. Jesus appears to disciples. Jesus appears to disciples. Jesus appears to people. Jesus appears to other disciples. Jesus, all these appearances that Jesus had after He rose. And that kind of blew me away. Here's Jesus appearing to all these folks. And I got to thinking, Jeff, after them torturing me, and after them killing me, and after them putting me on a cross, and then I used God's power to rise me from the dead if I were Jesus, who would be the first person I would go see? You know what I'd do? I'd make me up a little appointment to go see Pilate. That's what I would do. Or Caiaphas. I'd go meet him and say, how about you meet me for lunch? Those are the folks, by the way, that pretty much sent him to his death. See? I'd meet with them. I'd like to show them. <laughs> Give a big nanny nanny boo boo. You know what I'm talking about for God? Just kind of say, you know, but that's me. I'm human. I want revenge. Old Jesus is way above that because he's God, see? And here Jesus goes to his family to the relationships that meant the most to him. And he appears to them first. Now, you know, isn't that a thing? He goes to the people because family to Jesus is number one. Relationships are number one. I've listed there another passage from John. Jesus saying, love one another as I have loved you, he's telling the disciples. And then everybody will know that you are my followers. Because you love one another as I have loved you, see? And what's powerful for me is it makes me ask the question of myself, and I ask you all this morning, where are your relationships in your priority levels of your life? How many times does work get in the way? How many times does things you want to do get in the way from the importance of a relationship development that you're having in your family between you and your kids or spouse development, you know, things we have to work on? So many times, I tell you, so many times, this morning it happened. I'm sitting here looking through the messes, and, and Sarah's wanting to come up and do some things. I'm going, Sarah, not now. I'm going to preach for all these people. I've got to look over my stuff I've been writing and stuff. And she's like, baby. Finally, I stopped and said, here I am doing the very thing. I, I put it down, went and helped her, came back, and I'm still here. See? How many times do we get caught up with what's going on that we forget that relationships are most important? Interesting thing happened. Because they are so important. Interesting thing happened. I went to Disney World a couple of weeks ago for spring break. We had free tickets this one day. And so we took Abby and Sarah and the whole family. We stayed with, um, with family there. And, um, and we remembered this story. About five years ago, my wife Kelly um, blew a disc out on her back. Her disc was bleeding and rupturing out of her back and getting into her legs, so it affected her legs. So she had to go in and get microscopic back surgery. Well, here I am. We're pastoring this church where we've, we've had Sarah, which kind of what we think blew the back out was having Sarah and then her soccer days of playing soccer all her life, Kelly. You know, um, and here she is having to have this microscopic back surgery. And so I call Rhonda up on the phone, the picture you saw there. I called up Rhonda and I said, hey, Rhonda. I said, um, I need you bad. I said, Kelly's having this surgery. I need help with Sarah. i got to pastor this church. Anyway, you can come and help. And she said, I'd love to do it, Jeff. She said, but I can't. I'm trying to get into seminary, as you well know. And, I'm, and I am um, taking the Miller Analogy Test to get into seminary that day. And I just can't do it. I can't miss this test. I've been studying for it for a couple of months. I said, Rhonda, please. I said, look, I took that test 
for a degree. I said, I know it's a booger of a test, um, but I found out early service I can say booger. So that's why I didn't. And, and she said, it's a booger of a test. She's, and I said, I know that. I said, but look, I said, you can take it any time. She said, I can't. I've been studying for it. It's kind of a cumulative thing here. I've got to take it. I can't. I said, okay, no problem. So I hung up. About three or four days later, I get a phone call from her out of the blue. And all she said was this. I said, hello. She said, I'm coming. I said, what are you talking about? You're coming. She said, I'm coming. And I said, well, what do you mean, Rhonda? She said, well, she said, I'm sorry. She said, I'm coming. I said, great, great. I'll buy your airline ticket. I'll take care of everything. Just You, you can fly in tomorrow because it was coming up on the thing. She said, nope, I've already bought it. already taken care of it. Just come to the airport and pick me up. I'm coming. I said, all right, Rhonda, man, I sure appreciate it. I don't want... I'm coming. So I said, well, what happened? You know what she said? She said, that day that we talked on the telephone the first time, she was meeting with a professor at seminary there. And they were talking about class stuff. And the professor saw that she was kind of pensive looking and kind of brooding about something. And she said, he said, Rhonda, what's going on with you? And Rhonda explained to him that she had heard from me and the whole deal. He stopped her mid-story and said, Rhonda, he said, you get up out of that seat right now. You go pack your bags. And you head down there and help that family. And she said, I know, I need to do that. She said, you, he said, you forget that test. If you never learn anything in seminary, learn this. Relationships are more important than anything. That's what Jesus was all about, he said, was relationships. And she said, so, here I am. And, and by the way, she did get into seminary. And she's now graduating in May with a grade point average of 3.85. I graduated with a mere 3-3, three, three. so she even bumped me off. I mean, not that I'm anything great or anything because I'm pretty dumb, but anyway, I couldn't believe it. 3-8, I mean, golly. But anyway, so here she's graduating, and I'm going to be there, even though it's one week after Garbanzo Bean comes. You know what I'm saying? I'm still driving down there, and I'm going to be at the graduation. I wouldn't miss it for the world, see? It's a cool thing. Oh, did I bother to, I forgot to tell you this. Her last name, it's not Heath like my last name, it's Howard. See, she's not even blood kin to me, but she's every bit as part of family as someone who has my last name because of the relationship that we have, you see. With Jesus, it transcends name. We're all part of the same relationships. And whatever relationships they are, by name or not by name, Jesus says, man, they're number one. Those family relationships, how are they? Are we taking our living to the next level in our relationships to where nothing gets in the way of them? Such a temptation for that to happen. Write the second thing down with me. The second area I want us to talk about is the area of faith. Faith and trust. Now, this is a real hard um, topic to talk about because a lot of times with faith and trust, especially in relationship to where God is, a lot of times in life we get in relationships with people here or things happen in life that break trusts between us and somebody else. And it kind of it hurts our ability to trust God. Because if we've been hurt this way, then we think we're going to be hurt this way. And so it's hard for us to really trust God and have faith in God a lot of times because of the way we've been affected here. And can I just tell you the Easter message? The whole vision that God was giving us with Easter and rising Jesus from the dead was to say, you can trust me. If I can bring my own son 
back to life again? I think you can trust me to handle your life and your situation. There's an interesting disciple that, that, that totally embodies what I'm talking about. His name's Doubting Thomas, if you know who I'm talking about. Sometimes we make him out to be the bad guy. We call him Doubting Thomas, you know. And a lot of us don't like to even relate to Doubting Thomas, but I think we probably would relate to him closer than you think. Um, anyway, after the resurrection happened, Jesus is appearing to his family. All the reunions are going on and everything like this, you know. Which, by the way, I wonder why he couldn't just call everybody up and reunion that way. But he didn't. He went to where they were, which was fascinating to me. Here they are, all the disciples, and Doubting Thomas is there too. And they're all saying, Thomas, man, you've got to see this guy. You've got to see this guy. He's risen. We've all seen him. And you know what Thomas says? Thomas says, I ain't believing it. I want to be able to put my hand in his side before I believe in him. You know, I don't believe what you're saying. Oh, I'm telling you, he did it. We've seen him. Uh, I ain't believing you till I actually do it. So about a week goes by, and, and the disciples are all together again, and no doubt that's probably the biggest level of conversation they're having is Thomas not actually coming into the fold like everybody else and believing in Jesus. Can you picture this with me? Here they are once again talking about everything. Thomas saying, I'm not believing it. And right behind him, Jesus comes in, and they're all going, I'm telling you, he rose. Thomas is going, I'm not going. I told you, like I said before, unless I put my hand in his side, unless I put my hand in his hands, I'm not going to believe it happened. And all of a sudden you hear this, <gasps> As Jesus walks in, comes right behind Thomas and says, Okay, Thomas, and takes his hand and pushes it in his side, puts it into his hand, said, I told you. Didn't I tell you what was going to happen? And Thomas then falls to his knees and says, God, I believe you. I'm so sorry for not believing. I believe you. And Jesus said, That's fine. It's great that you believe. It's even greater for those who believed anyway. How awesome it is, he says. Can you imagine Thomas's life now after that happened? Can you imagine that there's that, that he's going around singing, "Ain't no mountain high enough." I mean, I mean because he's seen Jesus living, you know. It's like the scripture that Jesus said to the disciples: "Have faith in God. Have faith in God. If you tell this mountain to pick up and move into the heart of the sea, it'll be done. If you pray and believe, it'll happen." Now a lot of people get the meaning of that all mixed up. And then I start saying, well, if my prayer wasn't answered like it's supposed to, it means I didn't have enough faith. I didn't have enough trust. I didn't believe enough. That really irritates me sometimes people say that because in, in my way of theology and knowing this scripture, that's not what Jesus is saying. You see, for me, for me, faith is a two-step process. It's one step where Jesus reaches down and grabs us. The second step is where we reach back up and grab him. You see, the first step we become a Christ follower, we say, I, I know you're reaching down to grab me, God, and there's something more to my life, so I reach down and I grab. The second step then is when you're willing to reach back up and say, Okay, God, not only am I gonna not only do I believe in you, I want to follow you. And you hold on to him as you go through life, see. And that's what that scripture verse in Mark is talking about. He's saying, Have faith in God. Reach up and grab God. He's reached down and grabbed us. He wants you now to reach up and grab Him. That's taking life to the next level. That's living to the next level. And you're saying to God, God, I want your plan. I don't want my plan. Your ways are so much better than mine. I want to know you. I want to know what you have in store for me. And I want to live it, see. And that's what that scripture is all about. And when that happens, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Now, you feel the negative, you feel the bad in the situation, you'll feel the greatness of the situation, how great things are. But you'll know as you're holding on to God that He's carrying you right through them, see. And so will everybody else around you, you see, because you've put relationships first and you're loving one another as He has loved you, see. And they all see 
what's going on there as you're walking and holding on to God. And you, it'll be just like mountains are moving into the sea when God carries you through something. You'll say, man, can you imagine what God brought me through when you look back on it? It'll be just like a mountain was picked up. How many? Of you, I'm sure there's some of y'all out here who have had mountains move in the name of God. Now, you, not really, but really. And you know what I'm talking about. Where you've held on to Him and He's carried you through something and you've been able to deal with it because of Him. It's a cool thing. It's an absolutely cool thing when you think about it. Um, I picked up this... This, this past week, I don't know if you had a chance to see this from Fox News, but did you read about this man who ended up putting his entire life up for auction? Can you believe that? Seems he had some kind of tiff with his wife and he broke up with his wife and life was so bad for him that what he ended up doing was deciding on, on eBay he's going to put his entire life up for auction starting June 22nd. So if you want to get a pretty good life, you might want to bid on this. Um, he's got his job, his house, his cars, everything's going to be up for auction. His friendships everything. His employer has agreed to employ the person who wins on a three-month trial. Everything about his life. He thinks he should bring in about $400,000 for his life. was probably going to be worth. And then they say, they ask him, what are you going to do now? He said, I'm going to take the money, get on an airplane, and just go somewhere else and start a new life. I got to thinking. I've got two questions I'd like to ask him if he were sitting right here with us. But since he isn't, let's just ask him. I'd like to ask him, number one, what are you going to do when you run out of money and you've created this kind of life? What are you going to do? Because you're going to have to face the issues that you left with your wife and the people that you've left. You're still going to have to face them. You can't just leave them. Second thing I'd ask him is, what, um, what exactly are you going to do once it's all over with? You know? You, you can't, you've got to trust God at some point. It's, it's an interesting thing. It's what's going to happen when you run out of money and what's he going to do when something else bad happens in his life? What are you going to do? Sell it again? You can't sell your life again. You know, that's why as Christ followers, our life is taken to the next level. God grabs us and we grab God and he carries us through life. The things we know, the things we don't know, everything. It's a powerful thing. Look at the third thing with me. The third word I want you to write down is the word forgiveness. The word forgiveness. This is a powerful concept for taking our living to the next level. Let me give you the story. Here is Peter, James, and John. They've seen him already, seen Jesus a couple times already. They are in a boat and they're fishing, going back doing what they know how to do. They're out there fishing. And of course, as usual, as the, as the, as the gospels say, they haven't caught anything all night long. The morning comes and Jesus comes out onto the beach, but they don't know it's Jesus. And they're out there fishing, but they haven't caught anything. And Jesus is going, hey, you guys caught any fish? And Peter kind of looks at the guy like a wise guy and says, no. And Jesus says, why don't you throw that net over the other side of the boat? And Peter then probably kind of does a deja vu thing. Did they have deja vu back then? Anyway, he has this thing where he's like, haven't we done this before? Because you see, when he first met Jesus, this was the same thing happening. And they throw the net to the other side of the, of the boat and catch 153 different types of fish in that net. That's pretty awesome, God fishing. Right? I'm going to go fishing with Jesus. I mean, it ain't just bass and brim. It's 153 different types of fish get caught in that net. And they're pulling up. Peter then realizes the deja vu he happens. Oh, that's Jesus. And he jumps in the water and swims to him. And they get there, and Jesus has breakfast there for him. Fish. And they're all sitting there. 
And then the greatest act of forgiveness in my way of thinking has, t- takes place ever in the Scriptures. Where as soon as they finish eating and stuff, Jesus kind of gets with Peter. Because you remember the story of Peter. Peter had denied Jesus three times. After he told Jesus, I'm with you to the end, Jesus. I'm going to stay with you when you're getting crucified. I'm going to be with you all the way to the end. And Jesus told him, you're going to tell people you don't know me three times. And Peter said, no, I won't. And it happened. He denied he was ever even with Jesus three separate times. So Peter's feeling pretty low over here. Get over here next to where the fish are and everything. And Jesus gets with Peter kind of alone. And Jesus asks Peter, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, yes, I do, Jesus. He says, then feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Peter says, you know I love you. He says, then tend my lambs. He asks him a third time, Jesus, um, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, kind of concerned now because he's asked three times. Jesus, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. In other words, forget what you've done here. Forget the denials. Forget all that stuff. From here on, feed my sheep. Love me. Fulfill your calling. As a result, it empowered Peter to be the great leader he was in that next book called the book of Acts, where he helps preach and lead people to know him. I think that was his motivation. In other words, Jesus was telling Peter, I forgive you. Now just focus on the calling. Isn't it interesting about forgiveness? I've learned as a parent with my two little girls that everybody asks and receives forgiveness differently. I expect a lot of people to come up and just say, do you forgive me? And me have to, or I, would you forgive me? You know, either way. But people are different. My two little Sarah, my, my oldest boy, she'll tell you something. She'll rip your heart out. She'll do something, you know. Won't even think a minute of it until maybe that evening when we're all quiet after we read our books and said our prayers. And she curls up in my lap and she's hurt. And you can tell by something that happened earlier that day. And the way she asks forgiveness by cuddling with me and telling me she's sorry. Abby's the other way around. Abby is, you hurt her, you, she does something to hurt you. All you got to do is kind of show your hurt. I mean, just, and she goes, oh, did I hurt you, Daddy? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You forgive me? I'm sorry. I mean, she's no problem whatsoever. Isn't that just like people? Why is it so hard for us to receive forgiveness? And why is it so hard for us to give forgiveness? I ain't going to give forgiveness to that person. That person hurt me, Dad Gummit. He hurt me real bad. You know, we all have our levels of how we'll let people forgive or how we'll forgive. And we all set our levels. And Jesus said, hey, I've changed the game. I've changed the rules. Take living to the next level. We forgive. i got a cool scripture for you. It's in Colossians. Here's what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, see, we're chosen by him, holy and dearly loved by him, clothe yourselves. Now, interesting, he picks all these out and then he focuses Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he focuses. He says, bear with each other and let whatever grudges you may have against one another stay there forever. Wait a minute. That's not what it says, is it? I'm sorry. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Boy, that kind of ruins a good mad, doesn't it? Kind of ruins a good feeling there of holding something against somebody, doesn't it? Now, if there are things you've got against somebody that's not all that great, I mean, if it's some serious stuff, some serious stuff, God still wants us to forgive it. 
It doesn't mean you have to have tea and crumpets with them later on, or that's England, I'm sorry, or an egg McMuffin and coffee or that sort of thing. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you have to hang with them all the time. It just means that we're supposed to forgive them as God's forgiven us. Or be able to receive forgiveness from someone when they ask for it. Because it's exactly what God asks of us. Now look at the last thing with me. The last thing is the future. Family, faith, forgiveness, and future. Here Jesus is. He's taken living to the whole next level for us as Christ's followers. And he says um, he's got everybody around him. He's done all these family reunions everywhere. And all this stuff's happened after he rose from the dead. And then the very last thing. Everybody's thinking, hey, everybody's thinking, you know, um, he's here now. This is great. And then Jesus lays the last bombshell on him and he says, I'm now going to have to go up to be in heaven. And y'all going to stay down here. And they're like, you're kidding me. He says, I'm good. my job is to be with the Father. He says, your job is this. Go make disciples. Teach them and help them become Christ followers. Baptize them. And do all of that knowing that I'm with you when you do it. Even though I'm up here. I'm with you when you do it. And those disciples, those words propel to this day the church. To this day, the mission of the church is what Jesus said. He sort of did a Mary Poppins thing, but so much seriouser. You know, when you have two little girls, Mary Poppins comes into the movie, you know, into this life of this family, has all their priorities messed up, has everything backwards, and she fixes it all. And then at the very end, as soon as she fixes it all, what does she do? She picks her umbrella up, she, she disappears and says, carry on. Now what Jesus did was a whole lot more serious than what Mary Poppins did. But I'll tell you what, I never watched Mary Poppins the same after I started making this comparison here. When, you're, when you got young girls, that's all you're doing is watching Disney things. And you see Jesus characters in all these movies, you know, that come in and help. So Jesus comes and he, he, and he leaves it to us. Now, well, he doesn't mean we go door to door. He doesn't mean we have to knock on every door and say, Hi, I am a Christ follower. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you don't, would you uh, pray with me? Let's pray. And just, I mean, that would be kind of ridiculous, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be ridiculous? It'd be ridiculous. God has wired each and every one of us to reach folks the way He's made you. Our job is to be. God's job is to do. It's not the line that you're going to use on somebody or say to somebody that's going to help them know Jesus. More than first, it's the life you lead in the relationship department, in the faith department, in the forgiveness department. That helps other folks know that you're a Christ follower. And I'll guarantee you, because God is God, they're going to want what you have. They're going to desire to be as peaceful as you are. Because it's God. It's who God is. He's wired everybody to want that, see? And other people will see your life is different and want it, see? How do you see your future? Do you see your future as the same thing it's always been? Or is it to the next level? There's a great scripture I listed here. It's in Matthew. Jesus was talking to all these folks on the, on the Sermon on the Mountains there. And He says to them, He says, You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, 
that scripture to me has not meant much at all in my life. In fact, Keith, one time when I was in college, came to chapel and preached a message on salt. And I thought, man, that's a pretty good message. That's, that was great. I liked that. I took the scripture out. It was a really cool thing, you know. I've known Keith for 20 years, you know. And he did that, and it was a big deal. Well, I never salted my food. And as I've learned, I'm probably the last man on earth that doesn't use salt on their food, you know, except for french fries every once in a while. Well, about a month ago, I started trying to lose a little weight, and I started eating a lot of salads. If you're going to lose weight, eat salads. It's no calories, and it's good for you. So, hey, and I started putting salt on my salads. It was like night and day. Salt made it taste so much better than it is by itself that I don't even touch a leaf now without putting some salt on it which is probably bad, you know what I mean? But it's the way it is, honestly. I'd never used it before. My dad would use it, my family. I just, just start eating food, you know? And now I won't do it without it. And it, this scripture came so true to me and so true for our future as Christ followers in that we are salt. We're an enhancer of God in us. And how we live and who we are enhances the God story so that other people will join the story and follow as well. It's a real powerful thing when you grasp a hold of it. I asked Adam if he and the band would sing a song to kind of bring this message all together, kind of tie it up together. And, um, and I asked him if he would lead us in this song and sing this song. And I just want you to think about the words as he sings it. What a great song that is because that's really an Easter song. I mean, it's really an Easter song. I know that sounds crazy. Uh, but it is. I heard that song the day that Keith asked me to speak today. And I, um, I'd never heard it all the way through. I just heard, heard bits and pieces here when my wife has it in the car on the radio, you know, because she's a country music fan. And um, it, it really is what you say. You know, play it backwards, everything solves itself with country music. But anyway, that song is just like who we are as Christ followers. You may know someone who that song would relate to big time, where they found out something about an illness or whatever. But the second half of that song is really someone who's learned from the first half that we have to live that way, you see. When Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead, the game changed. The rules are different. And as Christ followers, we live life like we're living because God empowers us to take our life to the next level. You see, it's a powerful thing. It'll make you want to go skydiving. It'll make you want to go Rocky Mountain climbing. Through your troubles, through the things you succeed in, everything you are as a Christ follower. Because we're Easter people every day. Long after the bunnies are put back at the farm and the eggs are put away and all that stuff, see? It's a cool thing when you think about it. I mean, it's just a really cool thing. So I just want to challenge you today as we approach this next week in the area of your family, your relationships, in the area of your faith and the trust you have to hold on to God wherever you are in life. The third area of forgiveness, of being able to receive forgiveness or being able to give forgiveness and your future. What your future is in Christ. All of us, you know, are crazy in our life with things going on. But God's got the future. He does. In the things you know about and the things you don't know about. 
Because when you've given it to Him, all of a sudden those things start to happen and you start to, wow, man, that's a God thing. Wow, would you see that? Wow. All because you decided you're going to follow Him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You so very much for Easter. I thank You for Easter being every day. It's all we do. It's who we are. Father, is there anyone in here this morning that has let priorities get in the way of family and relationships? It's great to be able to think about that this morning because it's a time when we can silently say to you, God, I want my family to be first. I want my relationships to be first. I want to love them as you've loved me. If we feel weak in our faith, if we're not trusting like we should be, I pray, God, that this morning we can silently say to you, I want to trust you. I believe in you. Now, I want you, Lord, to please help my unbelief. In the area of forgiveness, if there's, if there's areas where we need to forgive or areas where we need to receive forgiveness, may we be strong enough to ask you to work your plan in a way that that would come to fruition and we would be able to do one or the other. In regards to the future, we give that to you as well. Thank you that we have a future. Thank you that as we leave this place today, we, leave, we live out the future with you and us. What a great day it is to be together and to grow together in you. We pray these things in the strong name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If, if this has meant something to you in any way, um, in the family, faith, forgiveness, or future, or anything going on, that you want to talk to someone or pray with anyone about that, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal to you, but to pray with someone is not a big deal. There'll be folks over here in the living room at that table at that cross there who will be glad to talk with you about that, pray with you, anything you need. They'll be there for you there after the service is over with. And I would invite you to take advantage of that. It's a great thing.